Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. This is a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casazzi here on a Thursday morning with you to preview a football game being played Saturday night between West Virginia and BYU. To help me get to the bottom of this, it might not even take that long this week. Welcome in Chris Anderson. Chris, we have spooked fans, listeners, subscribers, whomever back-to-back weeks by talking about um well the accusations are that west virginia should have beaten oklahoma state and had no prayer against ucf um i don't know i was on those podcasts i thought that oklahoma state was going to cause a lot of trouble for for west virginia and uh i just kind of liked ucf's offense but didn't think much of their defense what are the chances we get this one totally wrong and or have our message interpreted 100% 100% incorrectly. We may have to take a moment at the end to very, very clearly state our position on what the game's going to be because I had to clarify and refute some comments as soon as this podcast went up last week about the uh, WVU-UCF game and saying, hey, I, I didn't think West Virginia was going to definitively lose. I just thought it was going to be a very high-scoring game. You know, if you asked me to pick one bet that had to be made, you know, win, spread, loss, whatever, it would have been the over big time. Now, it hit barely, but um, that that was one I would have felt most confident about. Not that West Virginia was going to lose, and I think you're, you're right. Some people are like, oh, man, UCF, world beater. No, <laughs> they're winless in the Big 12 for a reason, and West Virginia witnessed those reasons on Saturday. This one, oh. We won't be putting the fear of God into uh, WVU fans with with this preview, I don't think. All right, let me um let me let people behind the scenes here. Before we started, we had a brief conversation, brief, and I just said, uh, Chris, I don't I don't know how BYU wins this one. That's just me looking at the matchups and uh, some of the stats that I think are important. But importantly, here where West Virginia is good, BYU is not. Where BYU would have to be good, not necessarily a strength against West Virginia's vulnerabilities. Um, the one the one thing that stands out, and maybe we can get to this right away as we talk about the matchups here, is that BYU doesn't turn the ball over, but also forces a lot of turnovers. But, Chris, even that has not been to West Virginia's detriment. They hadn't caused a lot of turnovers before last week, so maybe they can't pull it away from BYU, but they're certainly able. Um, but they don't turn the ball over a whole lot either, and more so at home, too. And some of their turnovers have been punts, which, you know, that's not – passing the ball or handing it off and having it stripped. That's the one that's the one thing that could happen in any game, and BYU does seem to leverage that sometimes. I'm not sure you go into every game banking on that. You're hoping, and you know it's a certain possibility. Hey, if we lose a turnover battle, we might lose the game. 
I don't know if you can come in and say, yeah, we're going to win the turnover battle and also upset West Virginia on the road. Yeah, you're right. West Virginia's turned it over 10 times this season, and two of them, at least two of them, maybe three, have been on special teams. So it's not something they're doing very often. And maybe we'll get more into this with with BYU's defense, but you're looking at their stats and the amount of points that they allow per game. Um, Here they are. After the first two games. First game is Sam Houston State, which is literally 0-8 right now. And then an FCS team. So cross up those two games. Let's start with week three. That's two FCS teams, by the way. Oh, I forgot. Is Sam No, yeah, Sam Houston State is transitioning up, but technically FCS still, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. So that's, okay, that's so they're like in their team. transition year. But 31, 38, 27, 44, 14, 35. Wait, 14? Like, hey, that's pretty good. That was Texas Tech. And that comes with an enormous asterisk over top of it because the Red Raiders had to start a true freshman, a quarterback, who threw six interceptions in the two games that he's appeared in, including three in this game. And Tech turned it over five times in that game. BYU turned it over zero. And Tech, I think, like, they out yarded BYU by like 130 yards or like 50 plus percent on third downs actually one time of possession just like that that's the game that I think you play a hundred times and and tech wins like 90 of them but they just turned it over and they had a true freshman running the quarterback spot so yeah that that's the type of game that has to happen I think for BYU to win this one because that is basically the only way they've really been able to win thus far this season and who's more aware of that right now than West Virginia? Because if not for the interceptions and the fumble recovery last week against UCF, they could have been in serious trouble on defense. It didn't look great. They got a reprieve, a couple of drives interrupted, good field position for the offense, uh, a turnover on offense, given back to the offense because the defense created a turnover. Who knows? If they just get two turnovers, maybe just three, maybe that game isn't quite as different. But, you know, some of those picks, okay, that's maybe that happens sometimes. A kickball, um, something goofy happens, but they hit by Koba. Really ended a possession. Um, the hit by uh, Vesteranen on the quarterback Plumley was right after West Virginia turned the ball over on a goofy hook and ladder play. Um, uh, just timely stuff. But again, if it doesn't happen, perhaps it's a different story. West Virginia living the good life. So much so right now, Chris, that uh, one game out of first place entering November, and yet just one game ahead of this BYU team that we don't really think too much of as it transitions. A lot going right. Maybe they're getting healthier in, in certain spots, especially on defense. Hershey McLaurin back in a green jersey at practice, so he's on track to be available, and that is a spot where they just don't have depth and they can be very vulnerable. Um, they get him back. They don't have to start Marcus Floyd there. They can put Marcus Floyd in that hybrid safety position where he can play some nickel slash spear. He can relieve Aubrey Burks and Anthony Wilson. He can blitz. He can cover big receivers for BYU, so that might be a good thing to have. But anyways, a good season getting better and at the right time because, as we mentioned, the schedule is very likable toward the end, and it begins with BYU. Maybe the most equipped of the newcomers to transition into the Big 12 due to, I would say, the maturity of the roster. We don't have to get into all that. Everybody knows the story, but certainly a mature roster and just the experience as an independent of playing big-time games, opponents, and venues, too, and yet... Not a great run so far. 
Uh, it hasn't been pretty. Um, and I'm with you. I, th- I thought they might actually be decent coming into the season. Um, quickly changed my mind on that. But they 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 typically try to play a tougher schedule like prepare themselves for power five they schedule power fives they play independence they play they travel pretty much anywhere that is willing to play them as west virginia saw when they played them at fedex um a few years back so yeah and they're big boys and like you said season bets you got just looking at that every every single lineman is you know six what there's only one guy under the six four three hundred He's six two, three hundred. Every single one uh, of of the receivers, you know, six three, two hundred, six four, two hundred five, six four, two fifteen, six. Like they don't have small guys nowhere. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Where I'm I'm looking at their depth chart and looking on the offensive side of the ball, and it's just six three, six two, six three, six two, six three, six four, six five, six four, six six, and so on. They're like you, there's typically. Some kind of five foot nine, you know, uh, fast twitch receiver you're tossing in there, or a five nine change of back running back. It ain't there. These are all big men that West Virginia's going to be playing against on Saturday. Yeah, and some pros too. Like they really like their left tackle there. Um, but these are good players. They're going to have. I think they're left tackle, or right tackle. I can't remember. One of their tackles is very good and is supposed to be like an NFL player. I think Brown referenced him as a first round pick. Some defensive talent. But um, let's start with the BYU offense against West Virginia's defense. Trying to think of the right word here. How about yuck? Sufficient? 125th out of 133 teams in total offense, including 129th in rushing offense, averaging just 2.88 yards per run. Very reminiscent of Neil Brown year point one, year 0. 0.1, 0, 0, negative 0. 0.2, whatever the first year he was on campus was. I think it's a Roman numeral. Okay. But that it's very re- the run game is very reminiscent. Heck, the passing game might be reminiscent of that because it's that's their I guess you would say forte and what is they're ranked like 83rd in passing offense. So it, it's not I don't expect to see some kind of high flying offense out there on Saturday. And remember too they played a, a new to the FBS and an FCS team to start to start uh, scored 14 points in one game, got a, a little bit healthier in the game against the actual FCS team, but um, needed, I think, overtime to beat Arkansas. Arkansas is a team that fired its offensive coordinators having a down year and just been okay. I mean, two wins, three losses in the Big 12, but um, kind of a quirky team here, too. I, I don't know that um, I don't know that people realize like the tradition of the quarterback position at BYU, but certainly through the years, Big names have been through there. And if you look in the NFL, you're going to have Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall starting games this week. Those are the two most recent starting quarterbacks at BYU. Pretty good players um, in college, and we'll see in the NFL. Jury's certainly out for one and maybe both those guys, too. Um, they did not nail the transfer portal and quarterback this year, although the name is familiar. And not too long ago, he would have been a highly coveted player there. But Keaton Slovis just hasn't gotten it done, despite some some quality targets and protection on that side of the ball. Yeah, well, you, you, you're you right in that West Virginia fans are going to remember him because obviously played against them last year when he was at Pitt. 308 yards, one touchdown, um, a 188.2 rating. But here's the thing, Mike. He sucked after that. Like, really bad. 
Like he was not a very good quarterback for Pitt after that. Uh, nine touchdowns, nine interceptions. Never had another rating, I don't think, above like 130, 120. Um, yeah, there's one late against Miami. Again, 18 of 28 for 262. Like that was his best game. The best that he has played came against West Virginia last season. So I don't think that would be, you know, is what you should come to expect this season because it hasn't quite been that since he got to BYU either. Is this good for the secondary or for the pass rush for West Virginia? Because one has been better earlier in the season than it is right now. And one has played better right now than it had earlier in the season. Of course, logically, we're talking about how good the secondary is. Maybe. Um, I'm not saying it's better than the defensive line of the pass rush right now, but it has played better um, without great help from the pass rush. More specifically, Saturday, although they haven't been out the quarterback really the last two games. Um, And some of that is because you really got to be careful blitzing and throwing pressure when you're so thin and the margin is so narrow in the secondary. But let's let's call it a get-right potential for the defense. Um, which one could come around and do better here based on what you think? Could the pass rush actually get home a couple of times and do some promising things? Or is this another step in the right direction for the secondary? It, it might be a better day for the secondary than the pass rush, mostly because BYU is actually – decent at pass blocking they have a lot of the same at least if you look at like the pff rankings and and the pressures allowed kind of stats it looks kind of similar to west virginia's in that the pass blocking is excellent run blocking not so much and that's the case for byu with four of their five starters um above a 70 with again 65 being above average in pass blocking and so it's going to be difficult to kind of get to the quarterback against BYU. They rank number 31 in the country in sacks allowed, uh, despite the fact that they throw um, – that they typically, I guess, God, it's hard to say the word rely on the passing game, but I guess they do when you have the 129th-ranked rushing offense, and they rank number 31 in sacks allowed. So that offensive line might be a little more formidable than you might think, considering what we're saying about BYU right now. So I say secondary might have a better day than the defensive line. Lobos is a bit of an all-or-nothing guy, Chris. Um, 12 touchdowns, six picks, so two-to-one ratio. Eh, That's good the higher you get, I suppose. I don't know. Nothing wrong with that. Number three in the Big 12 in big-time throws. That's pretty good. right? Make some big-time plays, air it out. That's very BYU. Number one in the Big 12 in turnover-worthy plays. Um, That's not good. Completion percentage, 67.1%. And I said, wow, that's really good. Actually, Chris, that's adjusted completion percentage because he counts 13 drops. Um, Third highest in the Big 12. Something's going to happen when they throw the ball. It could be a touchdown. It could be an interception. It could be a oh-no play for the offense. It could be an oh-no play for the defense. It could be a drop. Who knows? When the ball is in the air, something interesting is going to happen here, too. Um, teams do not like to man them very much. Again, it might be because their size we can get into. But, man, if you're Beanie Bishop and you are active around the ball, you lead the nation in pass breakups and passes defended, you're number six in interceptions. Probably got great big eyeballs watching film this week, huh? Yeah, but- the thing that la- made me laugh when I was looking at these charts and these layouts of, of where Slovis throws and how often and the success he has outside, right, deep, 
I don't know if you got it pulled up right now, Mike, but Crazy. it two of 14 <laughs> completed two passes deep right all season, 89 yards and touchdown. So, yeah, I mean, when you're talking all or nothing, it's, it's a lot of nothing, but every once in a while, bang, because it's that way all across on some of these deep balls. Cause you look at some of his, his rankings and you're like, wait, how is he rated so highly on these deep balls when he is completing 27% deep throws, which is, again, you're not going to be hitting 50, 60% on deep throws. Nobody is, mm -hmm. uh, but 27% is still kind of low. But when he hits, I mean, mean he hits and it's what middle, middle deep. He's averaging 40, my math on this, 47 yards per completion when he connects deep, 30 yards, 45 on the right. So um, they're going for it. Like th th these aren't throws that are 21 yards. These are throws that are bombs and ready to go. So a lot of nothing, but every once in a while, something big. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Teams have really turned out the pressure on him lately, too, which kind of leads me back to my point about what West Virginia might do. But he got pressured 20 times on 43 dropbacks against Texas. Texas out in front knew that was going to be a pass-to-win game. But still, you're looking double digits in five other games for him this year where he got pressured that many times. He does get rid of the ball. He's a bit of a veteran. So um, his sacks, 10 of them isolated to just four games. So they come in bunches sometimes and against good defenses. But can get after him and they have you've seen teams do that a lead is probably super important for West Virginia is to play the style they want but also because you turn this offense which kind of comes in one-dimensional Chris even more one-dimensional um there are 44 players in the country that average more yards rushing than BYU does as a team how on earth does that happen to the power five I guess it happens when you average 2.8 yards a carry. That is wild. I did not know that. And big backs. They went to the transfer portal. They found a running back they liked. Um, their depth chart at running back is is kind of like, I don't know, it, it makes you set up and look because it's not the norm, but their starter is 6'2", 205. The backup, the or in the starter is 6'3", 240. He was a transfer portal player from UNLV. Uh, 6'200", 6'215". Big guys. They're starting a freshman. They're featuring a uh, transfer, like I said, from UNLV. And to your point, Chris, their size, like the receivers are 6'3", 6'4", 6'4". Their tight end is 6'6". Their tight end caught 12 touchdown passes in 2020. Been injured ever since. Look like an NFL guy, but maybe not now. But um, good size and talent and potential. You see a lot of highlights in the passing game. Um, not very good in contested catches. We can get to that, maybe. But just can't run the ball. And again, if you're going to be West Virginia, 
and you're worried about stopping the run in the past based on last week and also the season, like didn't do great against the run um, at different parts of the season, haven't done great against the pass at different parts of the season. What a benefit it is if you know the other team can't run it and is probably going to be gun shy about running. I'm not sure BYU is coming in to establish the run. Might try it, but might also realize its limitations and say, you know what, let's be creative with the offense. See if we can't create their own the pass or some some different plays that might get the run open. But it, it's it's tilting toward West Virginia here, which is the way they want to play. I think the only thing we, that would concern me, if I were a West Virginia fan, a West Virginia coach, is that some of these big receivers have had success against West Virginia's defense, and and even some guys that maybe you know weren't primetime players but just had some size advantage and, and did some damage against West Virginia. And I don't want to bring up, you know, bad memories for some people, but that was a topic of conversation. What was that? Was that uh, USA Today or whoever it was that had the anonymous coach in the Big 12 saying West Virginia was small, their defense was small, looked like a MAC team? Yeah. I, here you go. This is your chance to prove them wrong. You know, you're you're facing a receiver core that you just noted – it has four guys um, between receivers and running backs that are six three or taller. This is your chance as a secondary to to make a difference. Only seen man to man about twenty ish percent of the time this year. A lot of zone, but uh, not a team that makes a lot of contested catches. Like not in man, I guess, but in zone, you're not going to see a lot of contested catches. But you look at the numbers and what they do when they're in traffic as receivers, even against zone, um, it's kind of alarming i think because you figure they're going to be better at this and, and i know i heard the west virginia coaches say that you see them on the sports center top plays a bunch i can't say that i have but i'm sure that sure that they watched sports center and saw that so i'm not going to say that they're making this up but just some of the numbers there are just kind of like strange you've got guys who are you know one for nine two for seven on contested catches in zone I don't know. west virginia's been pretty active in, in trying to get after people and, and make that work as part of their identity but again they played simpler on defense where just drop back, let them see it and go get it. It works good for Bishop. I think Ruffin's a smart enough player where he's not going to get beat by limitations or the opponent's advantage. So he's been good in that regard. Pretty quiet. You don't have any problems with that, but that'll certainly be something to watch there too. Anything else about the BYU offense that we don't know about or we might learn about? Now I'm ready to move to the other side of the ball. All right. By the way, night game here. Mm -hmm. BYU has won seven straight night games. Now, that's an interesting tidbit. Mm-hmm. Let's see. All right, let's go to uh, West Virginia's offense against the defense here. I want to get you to a point, Chris, that someone made. Let me let me bounce off you and see what you think. It's just, just my round of phone calls of talking to people about stuff. But person noticed West Virginia's schedule. Um, BYU, actually, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, back-end teams. Um, they do not have recent experience scouting and playing West Virginia, which means scout them, play them, and then revisit that scouting report after the game. Mostly the teams do that in the offseason, the winter, spring, um, to get re-familiar. None of that familiarity to draw upon here. So that's an advantage for West Virginia. So then you're using the previous three or four games. Teams will go only so far back to see what a team does because teams typically, they, they, if they're going to be shape-shifting, they're going to play with recency. They're only going to be as good as their past two or three games. How different is West Virginia's offense in the past three or four games? Very good, but it looks different. Um, formations and motions are different. Players that are featured are different, too. How much of that explains what's happened so far, and then how much of an advantage do you think that is going forward? I think it explains a lot. They've changed a lot. We've talked about it. We did We did a whole segment on it, you and I, about how, hey, 
they've made some changes. What other changes would you like to see? And then after the game, we talked about some of the changes that worked against UCF. A lot of bootlegs, a lot of stuff that you hadn't seen quite as much before. And then caught this on a comment from Neil Brown during his press conference on Monday where he said he was talking about the offense and he said something to the effect of, yeah, we got to do some more things that we haven't put on film yet. Like he knows. Yeah. Excuse me. There's some very important text messages coming through. But like he knows, like he has to keep changing it up, keep tweaking it so that it's not what's available on the for everybody to see. And that's their advantage too, because they they can run their six or seven plays, but you just see their formations. You know, they formation from the tight formation to something wide. They formation people outside in. They're using different jet action. They're again using receivers almost as running backs. You can do a whole lot with that there too. I think that's going to be um, to their advantage here, because again, a Cincinnati, a UCF, a BYU, they're going on what the past three games are. They don't have recent game plans, but if you keep changing again, that shell game we keep talking about a different translation of it. But here's the offense one game. Doesn't look like that the next game. So it, it's hard to hit what you can't see. And they're, they've been pretty good at that lately here. Where do you begin for the offense of West Virginia? Uh, I think I have a good idea, but you start here. Uh, well, it'll be interesting because I don't know whether we want to call this the running game. I don't want to keep kind of hammering home that the running backs have to get going. They got going this past game. But all season long, I've been keeping track of not only missed tackles forced rate, for the running backs, but also the missed tackles rate for everybody's defense. Guess who ranks dead last oh. in the Big 12 Conference in missed tackle rate, Mike? No, really? Yeah, I I, I assure you. BYU, dead last okay. in the Big 12 with the most missed tackles in the conference. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah, that, 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 could, that could help just a little bit. Yes. And again, if you're if you're a team that is is trying to find your identity with the running game like West Virginia is, and maybe they found it last game. This is one of the what do they call it? Like when you're working out, like stacking these performances. Like it it seems to make a bigger impact when you can do it a second, a third time in a row, and it kind of amplifies the effect. This is a big opportunity for West Virginia's uh, running game to really get things going with that. Yep, lots of CJ Donaldson and Jaheim White last week. We'll see if I mean I I did ask. Chad Scott about it. Um, they got Donaldson in a froth in the fourth quarter, but they got him there fresh. And how much of that was, you know, the plan? He said, absolutely, that was the plan going in. You know, get him a couple where he's feeling good and then get him kind of like champion of the bit to get out there. And then he ran over them in the fourth quarter. But prior four games, Chris, he'd forced zero to six and zero missed tackles. He'd averaged 39.3 yards after contact. He forced four mixed tackles and add 83 yards after contacts. Not a great rushing defense, but guess what? Now there's BYU. Right now, 82 in rushing defense, but when you make it against FBS teams, number 88, and remember one of those FBS teams is basically an FCS team. If you make it just power five teams, which would be their big 12 opponents in Arkansas, number 95 and over 185 yards per game rushing. Tell me why this shouldn't be another success for a West Virginia team that is averaging What's the stat? They've had 140 or more yards rushing for 12 straight games. Is this true? Like, what? they were really hitting people over the head with this. Yeah, I think Fox put it on, like, during the television broadcast. And then I don't know if that got fed to them by WVU. Because, I mean, I know I'm guilty of it, of where you kind of not manipulate the numbers, but you make it very specific parameters 
and you can really limit down the number of teams. Um, this wasn't exactly that because it is just one um, criteria you got to meet. But, yeah, West Virginia on top, 140-plus rushing yards, and I can't remember how many games, but West Virginia has the longest streak in the nation. So that's a good thing, something to be proud of for sure, and there is zero reason for that not to be the case. There is zero reason. I think I said in the last game West Virginia should have hit 250 yards in my three key matchups. So the running backs should be hitting 200, 250 yards uh, in that game against UCF. The running backs alone, not Garrett Green. And with that late run from Donaldson, I believe that put him in like 230 for just the running backs in the game. So not too bad. And this should be much of the same. And there's no reason to think Donaldson can't do that again. Um, very interesting that he was technically not the starter for UCF. I don't know if that was motivational or what, but 4.88 yards after contact per <laughs> rush. Like, I mean, you're averaging almost five yards after contact every time you run. Like Most players don't average that many yards, period. So big game for him. I expect it the second time right now. Yeah, probably need Justin Johnson to, to get back to where he was against Oklahoma State. Not that prolific, but be a little bit more productive there, too. And this the the zig and the zag of White to Donaldson. I don't think you want to be chasing either one of those guys in the fourth quarter, but you definitely don't want Donaldson running at you. Christina, how many teams, um, excuse me, how many players are rushing for 140 yards a game? Tell me. Zero. However, 140 rushing yards a game would make you 86 in the country as a team right there, too. So uh, good thing, not a great thing. Probably one of those qualifiers, but hey. Give to them for doing it, but they're not going to measure themselves by 140 yards. 200 plus is where they'd like to get. I think they're 21 under Brown when they get to 200, or he's 21. So good indication of success right there, too. Offensive line, probably not going to have Doug Nestor, it sounds like, but got Tomas Remock back. Seems like they can trust Nick Malone. They're going to have to find a way to play big without Malone as an extra tight end. So I don't know if that just means they're going to play a ton of Cole Taylor. And Traylon Davis, I can't see them putting Victor Wickstrom in there or Will Dixon, so that might affect the running game, but doesn't seem like it's going to hurt them too much as far as their composure seems right now. So let's just say the running game is slowed down. They're not successful like other teams have. Passing game was a concern last week, and maybe just because the running game was so good, but had some injuries. Sounds like they'll get Hudson Clement back. Um, Devin Carter's odyssey continues. EJ Horton's on the way in. Rodney Gallagher getting more touches, but schemed up touches. You don't see him running a lot of routes and getting open and sitting in zones. Are we overlooking the passing game and what a concern that might be if a team just does sell out to stop the run? Because, yeah, Garrett Green has been good, but we've talked about this. It's the three-pointers or the layups, and they've hit a lot of three-pointers. But um, I wonder about crowded boxes and, and trying to be more effective through the air. But the passing game that really kind of feast or famine against and has feasted on some bad defenses, I guess, but hasn't really sat back and picked people apart with a high completion percentage or efficiency. Sooner or later, team is going to make them do that. I'm not sure BYU could force that, but sooner or later, that's going to happen. How do we feel about the state of the receivers and, and this concern I've spelled out here? Yeah, receivers are a little up and down. As you noted, Devin Carter, not sure what's going on there. I think it was at least two, I mean, at least two, Key drops on third downs in the last game. Had a couple more the game before that. Um, Green is still in like 52%, 53% in completion rate. Uh, you can't blame all of that on, um, on on drops in that game. 
still a little off, but yeah, you're right. It's taking the threes and taking the layups and that's about it. Nothing in between. They're going to have to figure that out. I don't know if BYU is the team that really can do that. Um, I'm look mostly because I don't expect them to get pressure on him. So he will have an opportunity to uh, kind of survey things and, and not be under pressure and having to make quick decisions that might make things more difficult for him. I'm looking at BYU's pressures. Hmm. Second fewest pressures as a team in the Big 12 Conference. And maybe more alarmingly, or more good news from WVU, is that a very large percentage of those pressures comes from just one player. And when you can focus on one player, like it's Tyler Batty, who has 23 of the 98 pressures for BYU this season. And when you go through and look at the other teams in the Big 12, Every other team um, has three, four, five, six guys that have double-digit pressures on the season. BYU has two. Batty and A.J. Vong Pachong. Vong Pachong. Hmm. Um, that's it. Like everybody else is single digits. Again, 25% of the pressures or so coming from Batty, so you can help focus and kind of scheme towards keeping him out of it. You always know where he is, so... I just don't see BYU getting pressure on Green and forcing him to make that decision. So he might have an opportunity to maybe be a little more efficient this game than he has in previous games. You know, an interesting thing about their defense is that they are uh, number five in interceptions, number 15 in passes defended without any pressure on the quarterback. As you mentioned, not good there. They're number 128 nationally in sacks. They have uh, eight sacks in eight games and they do not get behind the line of scrimmage against the run either. Um, 93 in the country in TFLs. So how does a team play like this um, be really aggressive and active against the ball, but not because you're forcing the quarterback into things. You just see them not doing anything behind the line of scrimmage. Um, that'll be one to watch right there too. I just think that's something to to keep track of. Um, can they, can, can they run this ball like they want to, or are they going to be forced to make plays? Cause that should not happen here. Um, in in the air, I guess maybe there's some Garrett Green to get back on track. Maybe they just throw the drink the other way and try to scramble BYU. Um, not really sure about that, but sooner or later, someone's going to force West Virginia to play left hand and see what happens. Is it that simple on offense for West Virginia? Keep Garrett Green rolling. Keep the ball yeah, going. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I, I think that that's that's something you and I talked about when we talked about the first. Um, you know, set of plays against UCF. Oh, should you change it? Should you change it up because UCF's bad at this? Should you change it up because new opponent is bad at that? Don't keep doing what you're doing right now until they force you to try to do something otherwise. Because I think BYU is not strong enough at any point on their defense, from what we've seen so far, to force WVU into one thing or another. Yep. Uh, unless they completely sell out. And at that point, if you can't make them pay for that, then that's a big problem for your team uh, moving forward. So I think West Virginia needs, just needs to stick with their game plan. Don't try to do anything different and and selectively attack with green and get that running game going. All right, let's wrap it up here, Chris. Uh, 7 p.m. game. We'll talk around midnight on Saturday night. Who? What? on the tip of our tongues, the front of our brain, as we describe what we witnessed at Mountaineer Field against BYU and West Virginia. Turnovers. Uh, you, you've already touched on it. I hate to kind of steal it um, if you were going to go there. But 
if BYU is able to pull this off, it's because West Virginia turned the ball over. It's like BYU is plus 12 in turnovers in their wins, minus four in their losses. Um, it, it's going to take, again, something like that Texas Tech game where they forced five turnovers for West Virginia's offense to, to kind of falter here. Um, and if that happens, obviously, we're going to be talking about that. If West Virginia is able to get things going and get a win, then that means they held on to the ball, they protected the ball, and they did what they were supposed to do. So I think we're going to be talking turnovers or the lack thereof, depending on the outcome. Okay. Um, I, I just think that this is one way or the other we'll be talking about whether or not West Virginia played its game. And if West Virginia does, it wins. If the turnovers or if the BYU blockade does pop up, then this could go the wrong way. How does this happen? L- listen, BYU does not hang on to the ball. The disparity in time of possession here is enormous. That's a big check on the West Virginia side. It's about 12-minute difference. Um, BYU does not get first downs. BYU is terrible on third down. Um, that's not a good recipe because if you can't keep the ball away from West Virginia, I'm not saying that that's like some freaky offense that's going to boat race you, but they're going to boa constrictor you instead. They are going to smother you and make this a short, long game because they're just going to keep the ball because this is a team that thinks they're going to be able to run against BYU for sure. Um in just in the past, I don't know, a handful of games, West Virginia has been better on offense. They were a top eight team in third down conversions the past three games, over 55%. Um, they're also picking up a lot of first downs. So they're doing it on first and second and third down. They've just been a very efficient offense. If, if BYU can't get off the field, you're going to see something like what you saw from West Virginia last time, which is what 10 possessions, seven of them went in the red zone, five were touchdowns, two were field goals. I'm not saying this is a locomotive that's going downhill, but it's a locomotive that certainly has some ammunition, thinks it's going to be good. Um, if they're successful on third down, if they're getting a lot of first downs, they're going to have BYU box in the corner. I do not know how BYU gets out of it. Finishing up the week, Chris, uh, we had the fresh set coming. We have year three matchups. We also have some basketball stuff going on. By the time you hear this, sheesh, who knows what else may have happened between the time of record and published. It doesn't seem like it's a slow day ever for basketball right now. Uh, what else can we be on the lookout for? I'm going to put up some form of a basketball preview. I don't have a choice. Game start next week. I've been trying to wait it, things out to figure out what's going on with battle. It doesn't look like it's going to happen before then, so you'll get something on it on Thursday. Okay. 7 p.m., BYU. Furthest it's been east since playing West Virginia at FedEx Field in 2016. How about that? Hmm. Don't say it very often. Don't want to miss this one. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.